You're listening to Second Look. Second Look is designed to give us a forum to learn more about the ministries, members, and mission of Second Presbyterian Church. Our church is full of stories, and Second Look is a chance to dig a little deeper into how we are using our gifts and resources for Christ. Welcome back to Second Look. Today, we're continuing our series on worship with the practice of worship. Barton Kimbrough examines the five main principles of worship at Second and how those are expressed practically in our Sunday morning and evening services. The liturgy at Second is a way for our congregation to participate in the retelling of the gospel through diverse worship styles. We get to do something very special here um, as pastors and ministry leaders of helping our congregation and those who come through the doors be astonished by the gospel. And that's really, I think, our job. You know, the foundation of all that we do is what George just laid out, the theological principles. Uh, We are created for worship, redeemed for worship. That's our end, right? Before the throne of the Lamb and the new heavens and new earth, people from all nations, tongues, tribes, and people groups worshiping God. That's where we're headed. And that's the reason that we take it so seriously here at Second, um, preparing our worship services. Uh, Among other things, too, it's a formative tool, as George said. It's, uh, It's one of the chief mechanisms that the Holy Spirit uses as to transform us in the image of Jesus. Um, worship is our response of gratitude, but uh, it's also something that the Spirit does in us, even more so, I think. It's one of our chief works as Christians, as, as a kingdom of priests, right, to image God's presence and love towards one another, to intercede on behalf of the city and world, um, to tell that gospel story, to astonish people with the gospel. And that's a great privilege. Uh, as we strive to do that together here at Second, there's, I think, five principles that Samuel and Calvin and I look at, and George and the rest of the pastors look at, to help shape our services. Uh, the first one is that our worship from start to finish would be gospel-storied. If we're going to astonish people with the gospel, we want to tell the story of the gospel, and not just in our sermons, which we, of course, do that, but from start to finish in everything that we do um, to tell the story of the gospel. So, beginning our service, we have the call to worship. Now, what are we doing with the call to worship? We're reminding ourselves and the folks in our congregation that we were created, brought into existence to know and worship the Lord. (laughs) That's the reason that we have breath in our lungs to praise God. That's the reason we were redeemed and saved to worship the Lord. So, at the very start, we're reminding ourselves of our chief end, our purpose, um, then we do that. We, we sing through hymns of praise. Uh, we have a prayer of invocation where we're uh, confessing our utter dependence on God simply to worship him, that he would meet with us and enable us to, to praise him in the way that we desire. Uh, we have a responsive reading. Usually that reading is, is uh, a passage in the Bible that's oriented around praising God. So we'll read that together. Um, but then we'll move into a season of confession too, right, where... Uh, We're corporately and privately confessing that we have failed being God's choristers, right? Which is really the the, the main offense of all of our sin, that we have failed in worshiping the Lord because we've worshiped other things, ourselves or other people. So we're confessing that we've failed to be God's worshipers, but then then the pastor um, in the lectern over here uh, pronounces the gospel, usually a verse or two, summarizing the great news of the gospel that we're saved not because of our work or our worship, but because of the work of Christ. And when we hear that, we again respond in thanksgiving, 
through tithes, offerings, worship. Um, then we move into the reading and preaching of God's word. Now, if we weren't Christians, that might be burdensome to us. It might be um, something that we would dread, feel some sort of spirit of condemnation. But as those in Christ where there is no condemnation, um, God's law, his word, it's honey to our lips because we want to live in a way of response, right, to his grace. Um, then we receive the benediction at the end of the service where we're sent out into the world with God's blessing to make disciples of all nations. Now, what do you see there from call to worship to benediction? It's the story of the gospel. And as George said, that's imperative, right, um, in our spiritual formation because every day, um, Monday through Saturday, we're out in the world where we hear false narratives, false saviors, false salvation projects, most notably the American dream, right, where we're promised that if we work our absolute hardest to get as much money as we can, if we have as many kids as we can, with the biggest house that we can possibly afford, with as many toys as we can, retire at age 60, live out the earth, that, that's true happiness and joy. And everything that we do throughout the week uh, facilitates and cultivates that belief. Um, the problem is that's just the wrong story. That's a false narrative, false salvation project. But we're in here on Sunday mornings hearing that gospel story told over us, sung over us, preached over us time and time again. Our imaginations are becoming restored with the gospel, rehabituated. Um, our hearts are being bent back towards the only story that matters. Um, there's one true and living God. He created us to know and love him. We didn't do that, but in love, he became man and saved us from our sins back into relationship with himself to live for his glory. Every Sunday we're told that, and that shapes us. Um, through that, through that repetition, we're becoming more and more like Jesus and in love with Jesus. So primarily, we want our services to be gospel-storied. After that, we want it to be dialogical. You know, uh, worship, it's, it's not a monologue. It's not a spectator sport. Uh, it's a dialogue. It's a divine conversation or communion that God's people are having with the Lord himself. Now, the pastors or the liturgists, they're kind of like the hitch of this romantic relationship that God's people have with the Lord. It's the mediator. He's taking God's word to God's people and speaking on behalf of God's people back to the Lord. And so we have this conversation back and forth, back and forth through the service. We want it to be dialogical. And in that vein, too, we want it to be participatory. Um, it's not a passive thing, the worship of God's people. Uh, he wants us to participate. That's one of the chief principles of the Reformation, that you know, we uh, are, um, it's the priesthood of all believers. We're not passive in what we do. Prior to the Reformation, the worship was uh, in an uncommon language. The, the scriptures were an uncommon language. People were barred from participating in the sacraments. Um, we don't see that in scripture. God wants his people to participate. So in order to do that here at Second, there's a few things that we try to do. We want our services to be simple, uh, first and foremost. We're a highly liturgical church, um, and that's good. Um, but if you're not raised in that background, you could come into our service and say, well, that doesn't seem simple. But there's a linear thought in the way that we worship. Um, we have instruction in our bulletins, too, that shows what we're doing and when we're doing it. And there is a rhyme of reason. There's, it's an obvious thing that you can see if you just pay attention. There is a simple reason for our worship. Uh, we also want congregational singing. And I'm, Calvin and Samuel speaking of this. So I don't want to take away. But 
Um, essentially, we want our folks to sing. We want our folks to lead in worship, um, which might mean that we uh, sacrifice maybe some excellence, but I don't think so. I think our worship is excellent here at Second, but we would sacrifice excellent for the sake of congregational participation. Uh, we want most of our musicians, um, singers, to be from the congregation. We want to choose songs and hymns that um, are easily singable or teachable so our folks can participate. We administer the sacraments regularly. Uh, we have corporate readings and corporate prayers because it's not just the pastors worshiping the Lord. It's all of us together. After that, we also want our services to be pedagogical. You know, one of the the pitfalls of living in the environment in which we do, um, being out in the world, um, hearing those false narratives, you know, every which way but Sunday. Um, I think a result of that is that our folks become more and more biblically illiterate. Um, and that's a generalization, I know, but we want our services really to, to teach foundational truths of uh, Christian theology, of the Bible. And we do that in a number, numerous of ways. We, we uh, throughout the service, we'll have a creed that we recite together, those ancient historical um, affirmations of belief, what the church is supposed to believe. We do that together. Um, sometimes we have uh, responsive readings that are from catechisms, Westminster, Shorter Catechism, Heidelberg Catechism. George is going through a series on our Sunday evening teaching the catechism of making sure people know what it is we believe and why we believe it. Um, and lastly, we want our services to be diverse. And this is what our, one of our new emphases are right now, or at least renewed emphasis of making sure that we are diverse as a church, but in our worship too. Not one culture has monopoly on the gospel or on worship. Um, in fact, that's one of the great benefits of the gospel, Paul tells us, that you know, because of the cross, barriers have been broken down, and he brings people from every nation, tongue, and tribe into his corporate body. And so here at Second, we want to recognize that and, and believe that and live that out by making as many voices heard and, and, and represented in our worship as possible. And so that means different things. We want diverse leadership. We want diverse music, diverse style um, to, as George says, resemble the complexion of heaven as much as possible now, because that's what we will be in our telos, the end times, new heavens and new earth, when we're all around that throne together. And so that means then that while we are primarily a traditional white church with Western European music, that's not the only voice that we want to have or that we do have. We want to hear uh, gospel music, um, both old and young, uh, traditional and more of the new age gospel. We want contemporary music. There's Hispanic components that we have in our worship service. And Samuel and Calvin have gone to great detail of spacing that out to where um, that's heard throughout the month and even throughout a full day of Sunday worship morning and evening. It's difficult because you don't just have one or two voices, you have several voices. Old folks, young folks, and all the different ethnic groups, how we're going to do that together. We've just made, uh, you know, we just resoluted that we're just going to make everyone mad at least once throughout the Sunday. Um, but that's okay too, right? Because isn't that what it means to be brothers, that we sacrifice things that we enjoy for the sake of our brothers and sisters in Christ for God's glory. And we want to do that in worship for his glory and to be welcoming to our brothers and sisters. Those are the main five principles that we think about when, when organizing a worship service, picking liturgical pieces, hymns, music, 
Um, and beyond that, too, we want to be sure that we engage the whole person, both mind, heart, and body, right? Um, as Presbyterians, we're really great at engaging the mind, the cognitive brain of a human being. We're very theological, and that's good. We also want to engage the heart, too. We're emotional people, and how does the gospel affect our emotions and certainly our bodies? Worship is somatic and cognitive. Um, and so George has really uh, helped us in learning that and uh, implementing that in our services. We raise our hands during the prayers of invocation, right, to remind us that we are completely dependent upon the Lord as his kids, and he is good to meet with us. But it's, we're, we're posturing our body to remind us to, to believe that way. Some of us, not in corporate worship, but maybe one day, we, we kneel during prayers of confession to remind us that we go before the Lord humbly, but he's also good to meet with us. Essentially, we bend our bodies to do what it's not natural. We're not natural for our bodies to lead our souls to what is true. And so we want to engage those things. Thank you for listening. For more information about Second, including location and service times, please visit 2PC.org.